when you stay at a Verbo? You always get the whole home. The whole upstairs, the whole downstairs, and the whole nap room. Only whole vacation homes. Always all yours. Book on the Verbo app. What happens when a computer expert becomes a sorcerer? And then, a very special episode today, because I'm going to explain to you why your prepper planning sucks today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's really nice and sunny out, and I think it'll be a beautiful day. Fingers crossed. You know what's funny is that a lot of times I will either forget to mention stuff in follow-up episodes, or I pre-record episodes and don't know what the the, uh, consequence is going to be. So I recorded the Michael Taylor episode and the Freddy Krueger episode on the same day, which it helps a lot when I'm able to like get ahead of the recording process. I can do more research. And the Michael Taylor episode, honestly, I think is uh, probably my most disturbing episode for me. Like I had a hard time sleeping. I actually had a hard time moving around my house in the dark after uh, editing and posting that episode. That episode really disturbed me for whatever reason. I've covered stuff that's way more like on paper disturbing, but that one really got to me. I even refused to go get my laundry out of the dryer because it's like downstairs in the apartment complex and it's kind of haunted here. And so I was like, nah, I'll just pick it up tomorrow morning. Yeah, it really affected me. If you didn't listen to the episode yet, I recommend checking that one out. That was Monday's episode. It's the blood of Satan. It's the blood of Satan was the name of that one. So that should give you an idea of how intense it is. But let's go ahead and get started with our first story. Now, our first story is really interesting. Just recently popped up in the news. But the events that put it forward took place a couple years ago. So the year is 2017. And in Paraguay, there was a young man named Ariel Batoix. I know it's French. Batoy? Anyways, Ariel, Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid. She wants her legs, but instead of getting her legs, she becomes a man. She becomes a 31-year-old man, and this is a more depressing version of the Little Mermaid story. Now, Ariel is a computer programmer, and on the side, he dabbles in a bit of black magic. Or, or sorcery, I guess would be a better way to put it, because he wasn't actually trying to hurt people with his magic. He was trying to help them find love. The one thing everybody wants, everyone wants a little bit of love. But so one day, though, Ariel, very successful computer developer, very successful sorcerer, goes to a Western Union office in Paraguay to pick up a payment. People are just doing their business. It's a normal day, whatever day this was, they don't say. And he walks in there to get his money. And as the person in the Western Union office is handing him the money transfer for $800, federal officers rush the building, take him, throw him in the back of a car. He's under arrest. So this is how this all happened. Ariel was just a dude. And he's really good at web design. He had a couple clients. And like I said, he dabbled in sorcery. And he realized he could put the two talents together. So he started this group called Amaris in Metitos. Amaris in Metitos, which is basically like a love connection or finding love or something like that. I think is it that's that's what it ended up being. It was basically a website where you could, through the use of magic, be connected to your soulmate. Which is an easy, easy thing to fall for. It's really, really easy for people to fall for this. And you may go, well, I'm a skeptic. I don't believe in magic. I don't believe magic can find me a soulmate. And you're like in an abusive relationship. Like, love is the easiest thing to get tripped up on. 
whether or not magic is involved or just human man- manipulation or trickery or whatever, it's it's a, such an easy gimmick to control people. But anyways, whether or not he started it off as a gimmick or he actually thought he was had these magical powers to bring people together across the universe, we don't know. But he does start this service, and it does become fairly successful. But it was all online. So he had clients all over the world, a bunch in South America, he had a bunch in the United States, he had some in Europe as well. And the way that it would work online, because again, it's kind of hard to do magic rituals, you know, over the phone. People do it because it's pretty much a scam all the time, but sometimes the person could at least maybe start with good intentions. His thing was this. I'm going to tell you what to do. You have to send me a video of you. Now I think you can see where this is going. You have to send me a video of you doing it, and then I know that the ritual is complete, and that way I can then use your power processed over the internet and find your loved one. So the ritual generally was you had a couple candles and like a lighter and um, some alcohol. You'd have to drink the alcohol and light the candles and recite this phrase, recite these sayings and stuff like that. And generally the phrases were vulgar things. Like they were basically, it was like dirty talk. So you're recording yourself talking dirty to a stranger and drinking alcohol. And then you send this video to this guy and he's like, okay, I'll see if I can help you find a loved one. But it starts to escalate very rapidly. Where, you know, it's he, he's like, he's a young man. There's a couple other guys working in this company. I'm sure that at a certain point they're like, let's see how far we can push this. So at a certain point, the people had to also start performing sex acts on camera as part of this ritual, which was mo- most likely masturbation. Masturbating on camera, saying these dirty phrases, and sending it to a guy in Paraguay hoping to find true love. But even that wasn't the trigger that got him arrested. Because that's just two uh, consenting adults being weirdos. What happened was he found out just through passing that one of the clients that he had a video on was extremely wealthy, very, very high up in society and extremely wealthy. They never revealed who this woman was. But he then contacts her and says, I'm going to release this video online unless you give me $250,000. It never says whether or not he actually got any money from her. But I'm thinking that he did because then he began doing that over and over and over and over again to the point where they were no longer just advertising just Originally, he was, like, advertising on, like, the Spanish version of Craigslist. They started doing targeting advertising. They would find single people who were rich and bombarding them with ads for the services to get them knowing full well that the second they had the video, they were going to turn around and blackmail them. They weren't interested in the mass amount of people who were just sending a couple bucks to do this video. They were were using their organization to target wealthy, lonely people to get them to masturbate on camera and then blackmail them. They would say, if you don't pay me this money, we are going to upload this video to the internet. And sometimes they would upload part of the video and say, we will upload the rest of it if you don't pay us our money. So pretty, pretty strong-handed blackmailing tactics. Now, somebody complained because an ICE agent in the United States posed as a buyer and said, hey, I saw half this video online. I'd like to buy the rest of it for $800. And Ariel goes, that's awesome. Yeah, totally. Wire me the $800 to this Western Union and I'll send you the whole video. Total scam, total scumbag. He he ran this thing. And it only ran from like February to October of 2017. He gets arrested and he's awaiting trial. He's spending some time in Paraguay. He's actually from Argentina, but he's spending some time in a Par- Paraguayan jail. He's spending some time in jails in Paraguay. Then he gets transferred to the United States, extradited to the United States. He's spending some time in jail up there. He's finally sentenced. 
gets sentenced to two years for one blackmail charge. He'd already been in jail that long. He gets out in July. And that's it. He, I guess he's being deported back to Argentina, because that's where he's originally from. But yeah, that's the story of Ariel. It's interesting because you know he's going to go right back to doing it. Like, the story is so obscure, and it was so successful the first time. He's going to go right back to doing it. He's just going to be smarter about it this time. And before we move on to the next story, just want to remind you guys, the merch store is up. A lot of great merchandise, t-shirts, stickers. I think there's a couple posters as well. If you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. Hey, hey kid, I didn't see you over there. Why don't you sit down here? Yep, it's me. Prepper Jason. You you know, you had to figure I was a prepper, right? You you knew that I was a guy who took the end of the world seriously. What I have right here in my... Okay, I'm going to stop doing the voice. What I have here right in my hand is a can of tin fish. I've never eaten this before, but I, I, I'm a survivalist. You got to know what the end of the world... I, I salvaged this from a, a dead shopkeeper. He was carrying his... Oh, that, oh my God, that's disgusting. Ugh. Nope, I gotta take at least one bite. Oh my god, that's so gross. Ugh, Sir Prepper Jason. It's not bad, actually. It's not bad. It smells disgusting, and it looks like cadaver flesh, but you gotta be prepared for the end of the world. You gotta be prepared for the end of the world. You know what's funny is because of this podcast, and actually even before this podcast, because of the uh, type of research I've done and just the type of conversations I have, I've met hundreds of maybe not hundreds dozens of real life like hardcore preppers in my life and definitely online i've met hundreds but in real life i've met dozens of real life preppers i don't care how who you are your prepper plan sucks every prepper plan i've ever heard leaves out massive massive details and they don't realize it because most of these plans are based on pre-glasnost like they were created during the cold war type of prepper plans, or they read a lot of books about the apocalypse and saw the road, and they think they know what it's like to experience the end of civilization. So so let's talk about this. Now, obviously, there's a couple different ways that the world can end. There's a couple different things that the preppers are looking at. So we're going to look at basically three different types. We're going to look at zombie apocalypse just for fun. We're going to look at an EMP attack or a solar flare, which sets the world back 200 years. Then we're going to look at government collapse type of thing. Now, I'm going to I'm going to address the government collapse thing right off the bat, because that's what a lot of most preppers like the zombie stuff. It's fun for them. Like, oh, yeah, there's zombies coming. But a lot of them are mostly concerned about government collapse or the EMP thing. But I want to cover the government collapse thing first, because it's actually the easiest thing to do. Now, I'm 42 years old. Oh, I turned 42 this year. Wait, do I? And it doesn't matter. Anyways, I'm, I'm old. I'm old. I've experienced a lot. I've lived a lot. And most of my listeners, most of you guys are younger than me. Some are older or my age, but, and you guys will remember this. When, it, because when we look at government collapse scenarios with preppers, this is really what we can look at. When the Soviet Union collapsed in the late 80s, early 90s, the Berlin Wall comes down, and then basically not only does the government of an empire collapse, but so does their entire economic economic belief. Like, it's not just like the banks went bad. Everything that was their economy was based on fell apart in a very, very, very short amount of time. It was the equivalent of going to school on Monday and on Friday you come out and school doesn't exist anymore. And neither does your home or the roads to get there. 
When the Soviet Union collapsed, and this is where a lot of younger people won't remember this, when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was outright anarchy across the entire eastern continent of Europe. There was no functioning government. There was no police, no firefighters. Citizen, I remember watching on the news, citizens had to arm, armor their own cars and begin taking fur off animals and wearing that for clothes. And they begin just riding from town to town, bashing other Russians' heads in. It was absolutely insane. And you started to see these regional warlords in, I, it just, I remember, I was like, I probably was like 12 watching on the news on CNN, these regional warlords hold these giant death games in this Thunderdome. It was absolutely bizarre. And it was just chaos, absolute chaos for decades. Now, obviously, none of that happened. None of that happened. You did have the collapse of a government and a economic and social order within the course of probably about two years. Just fall apart. And honestly, it was a little bit shorter than that. It just was like, I remember waking up one morning and being like, oh, so there's tanks in Moscow. The Soviet Union is over. And people just went about their business. People in Russia weren't, they didn't become vigilantes. They weren't riding from town and, and buggies and they weren't like war pups. They just went to work. They're like, I don't even know if I'm going to get paid for this, but I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to go to the factory. And they go to the factory and the guy'd be like, yeah, I don't know what's happening either, but let's just all work and make potato sacks or whatever they're making over there. The government collapsed, the economy collapsed, the philosophy of that part of the world collapsed, and people just went about their business. And that's why when people say, like, oh, you know, if the government does this, if the government does that, and I'll, I'll always say, oh, yeah, remember Russia? Remember when Russia devolved into a massive state of feudal warlords driving around on fire-breathing trucks? And they're like, they'll look at me and they'll be like, <sighs> because it has never happened. The idea that if the American government collapsed today, it would become The Postman, that movie The Postman, which is really underrated. It's actually quite good, but it's it's never been documented in modern times. Even like you can say what's going on in like Venezuela where they're like having coups and attempted coups and they're running out of food and the economy. People are still like waking up, dusting off their porch. They're starving. They're super hungry. But if you weren't like a criminal warlord before that, you're very unlikely to do it now. And if you did do it now, you'd get shot because the existing criminal warlords who have been doing it for 20 years, they're like, why are you stealing my food? That's my food. So when you look at any modern example of a government collapsing, it doesn't devolve into a massive Mad Max type scenario or a Postman type scenario or anything like that. And the best example to look at is Russia because it wasn't just their government. It was their economy and their social philosophy completely disappeared. And look at it now. Look at it then. Look at it. I remember like it was not, it was obviously like people suffered. It wasn't the best way to transition, but it wasn't this huge, horrible thing that people imagine when they imagine a government collapsing. Honestly, when people say stuff like that, it is honestly as ridiculous to me as zombie apocalypse. So let's go ahead though and move on to zombie apocalypse because there's more meat to this one. And the lessons we learned from the zombie apocalypse will take us to our, our more likely scenario of an electrical grid shutdown. Not likely in the sense, but the one that, if it happened, could cause some long-term stuff. Years ago, I got contracted to write a book about Y2K, before Y2K, when no one knew what it was going to, was going to happen. And I started researching all this prepper stuff, so we're talking like 1999. And I had researched it before, but, and I found this out, and this is, it's funny, because I did buy the, I, let me see, okay, let me finish this story first, and then I'll move on to the next one. 
Humans are the only species of animals that cannot eat the same food forever. Humans will actually, if they eat the same food long enough, they would rather starve than take another bite of that food. So if your prepper plan is to buy a bunch of Denison's chili beans, like mine is, you could eat chili beans every single day. You could eat chili beans three times a day. But at a certain point, your body will begin to be revolted by the idea of eating chili beans. Squirrels don't do it. Squirrels can eat nuts until they die. Monkeys can eat bananas. Rhinoceroses can eat berries, whatever the hell they eat. The other animals can have a strict diet, but humans, for whatever reason, can only eat so much chicken, and they're like, I don't want any more chicken. So one of the keys to having a prepper plan is to have a large variety of food. That's one thing a lot of preppers get wrong. It's not just about having enough food. It's about having a good enough variety of food. So if you're, if you are prepping, you have to have all these different types of food. So that's one thing a lot of people get wrong. And so I actually, I'm from California. You are supposed to have minimum three days of food and water on you because I grew up in earthquake zones. I lived through a couple earthquakes. I was in Alameda during the big 88 earthquake. That was quite a story, but. You should have three days, minimum three days. Really, people say now you should have two weeks of food and water. That is the best piece of advice. And I think all of this prepper talk, all of this prepper discussion, really nonsense, really comes down to you should have supplies for you and your family if something happens. There are people who are like, preppers, that's stupid. I don't prepare for nothing. And then there's a small inconvenience of power outage, things like that, and they freak out. Then you have preppers, on the other hand, they buy five years worth of food. And they're stockpiling guns and gold and all sorts of dumb stuff. And then nothing ever happens. It's just a waste. A waste of time and money worrying about something that's not going to happen. Versus the person who doesn't worry about it at all. And what's funny is that the people in the middle are viewed as the other side by... Like the prepper view... If you have two weeks worth of food, the prepper views you as you're totally unprepared. If you have two weeks worth of food, the guy, the, the dude who just doesn't plan for anything drastic happening thinks you're a hardcore prepper. I generally have about three days of food on me and probably about a week worth of water. Does diet A&W root beer count as water? If it does, then yes, I have a week. So, but you should, no matter what, you should have a week's worth, three three days to a week's worth of food and water on you. But let's get back to the zombie apocalypse thing. Zombie apocalypse happens. Now, the, the problem with the zombie, of people preparing to plan for the zombie stuff, is that I don't think they realize how quickly it's going to happen. Because that's not just like the local police falls apart, the medical community falls apart, the government falls apart. It's an existential crisis to humanity. Something's actively trying to destroy human. Their only purpose here is to destroy humanity. So people are going to re- it's going to be super fast and people are going to react to it very, very violently. So this is my advice if zombies attack. And this will go against what most preppers believe in. At least a lot of it will. First off, the one thing you have to be concerned, the, the main thing is people say when zombies attack, don't move. You should board your house up, go to your facility or whatever, your bunker, your fortified fort in the middle of a fort forest, and wait it out. Wait out the herds, wait out all of the madness and things like that. But the reason why people think that is a good advice is because of Night of Living Dead. If in that first movie they were running and gunning the whole time, people, the scenario would always be, oh, we're just running and gunning the whole time. It's 100% it. That's the only reason why people think that's a viable strategy is because the first time they saw zombies, that's what they did in that movie. Because it's not a viable strategy. One, you'll be surrounded by zombies in no time. But a bigger problem, and a problem that people never, ever, ever consider when they're 
planning their prepping stuff ever. I've talked to multiple of them and they're always gobsmacked when I bring this up. Ma- there are going to be massive fires everywhere. Everywhere. The- every city will be burned to the ground. And you can look at, like we did with Russia with the government collapse, you have to look at stuff like the Great Chicago Fire or the San Francisco Fire after the uh, earthquake in 1906, and you could say, well, most of their buildings were wood. The only reason why fires are put out in cities is because firefighters. That's it. And there won't be any firefighters. And what will happen is you will be in your apartment or you will be in your house and it will be heavily fortified. And in the apartment or house next to you, a zombie gets in as a guy is frying some eggs up, there's a scuffle, the guy falls down, and that fryer is just cooking. <laughs> Zombies eating his guts. That scenario is going to be replicated over and over again. People are going to be ironing their clothes, getting attacked by zombies. Candles are going to be lit. People are going to be doing stuff, sending videos to a sorcerer in Paraguay, masturbating in front of a camera. Zombies are going to come in. There are going to be hundreds of fires started simultaneously across every single city. So your perfect little place that's boarded up and you have the bulletproof windows and you have all your food and your gold and your guns, it's a death trap. Everything will burn in a zombie apocalypse. Absolutely everything. And that's the one thing people don't think about when they're doing these prepping stories because it's not cool and it's not fun and you lose every single time. The idea of having these prepper fantasies is you coming out on top, but you can't beat fire. So if you are in a city or an apartment or a house and you are anywhere near anything else that is flammable, trees, houses, a big giant linen factory next to the match factory, leave. Because you will burn. You will burn in the fires of the zombie apocalypse. Another thing to be aware of is that there's going to be vermin everywhere. Everywhere. Everything will become diseased very, very rapidly. Um, the book, um, This Quiet Earth, I forgot who wrote it, but he has an interesting part in it because everyone gets the flu. Like, there's only like maybe 10% of humanity left. In, in the book, this guy's living in this house in San Francisco. It's like a super nice house overlooking the city because everyone's dead. He can kind of do what he wants. And he wakes up and he sees ants everywhere. He goes, I look out, there's like a billions of ants. There's so many ants, I can smell them just walking through my neighborhood. And he looks out and he sees the entire city covered in ants. And then he goes, what happens is as food more food spoiling, there's a huge boom in the rat population, which means there's a huge boom in the cat population because now they have enough food to support banging each other. And then eventually the dogs that were all in people's backyards when they died, because it was a super rapid flu that took out like 90% of the planet. You got in with like two weeks, you were dead. So if you had a dog in your backyard, you were just laying on the couch slowly dying. You didn't have time to keep your dog out. Eventually the dogs all started digging out of their backyards and ate all the cats. And you just had massive... Just feces problems and cockroaches and ants. That will be what it's like during the zombie apocalypse. You won't be able to keep anything clean. Everywhere you go, there's going to be bugs. You're going to be not attacked by, like, the three feral dogs. You're going to be attacked by, like, roaming nations of dogs. They're going to be everywhere. Aside all the stuff like zombies roam in the area and stuff like that, I wanted to, because then you could go into, like, how to kill a zombie and are they fast zombies or slow zombies. I really want to do the overview because the lessons we learn from the zombie apocalypse as fanciful as that is, still play a part in our EMP attack or solar flare. And basically what that is, is there is some sort of event, natural or man-made, where the world's power grid goes off. So we're basically thrust back to the 1800s. I think this is honestly the most romantic version that preppers pray for. 
I think the government collapse one if they're like an ex-military guy or they want to be ex-military. They didn't even join the army, but they want to be like ex-military rugged guy. People are more into the, the conflict of it, want the government collapse, because then you have the roving band of raiders like we saw in Russia in the late 80s, early 90s. The zombie apocalypse one appeals to people who just like to bash in people's heads. And I think, again, it's more of just a flight of fancy. I think it's always interesting to think about. But the EMP attack, I think, is for like the, the cowboy, the outdoorsman. Like the world is reset back to an age where they belong. They feel they don't belong here with them fancy cell phones and that Britney Spears music. So they, they yearn for this attack. So, and I should say that assuming this, like the government control one's pretty regional. If there was an EMP attack or a zombie attack, your best bet is, again, to move during the zombie attack. But if it's just regional, if it's like the East Coast United States, just get out of there. That should always be the main preppers thing, just to get out of the area of conflict. But again, that's not romantic. So, EMP attack, solar flare. Power grid goes down. There's a hard reset on humanity. Now you're like, well, Jason, I'm a prepper. Like, this is what I prep for. It's not made up like the zombies, and it's not as inconsequential as government shutdown. But if all of a sudden everything reset back to the 1800s, would you be prepared for that with your two weeks of water? I, no. No, I wouldn't be prepared if all of a sudden the world went back to the 1800s. But neither are you. I think you're better prepared than I am, but you've also made some tragic mistakes. One, a lot of preppers hoard gold and silver. They think that this is going to be the new economy in this wild, wild west frontiersman town where they are respected members of this fake town they've made up in their head. And it's all made up. It's all imaginary. But anyway, so they're thinking this stuff. And they'll hoard gold and silver now for when that time comes. In their mind, they have this gold, they have this silver in this new world that will make them wealthy. They'll go into town and flip down a silver coin, and everyone will be like, oh my god, he has silver? And he's like, but that's not going to happen, because really, this is this is how, silver and gold may get its value back far, far outside of your lifetime. Society ends today, EMP blast today. Within the first couple months, couple years, no one's going to be trading with gold and silver, because it's worthless. If I'm a trader... And I run into one of these preppers and they got their cowboy. You can tell that they were prepping because everything's like super clean and they keep it washed. Us real survivalists just look like dirty, rotten, human bags of mold walking through the forest. I run into one of these preppers, one of these fakers, and they go, hey, what goods do you have? And I'm like, I got some potatoes. I got some vegetable oil. So, and the guy goes, okay, I'll take this, that, and that, and goes and hand me a silver coin. Anyone in their right mind in a survival situation or even post-survival situation where things are still starting to kind of balance out is not going to take silver for a bag of potatoes. What am I going to do with silver? Because for all I know, the next town over, they don't accept silver. Money only works with the government to back it. And your little western town that you've made up, it isn't the nation. And if it's just you and your buddies, what happens when someone accumulates all the gold and your buddies don't have any gold? Then you're basically, you're screwing them. If you and your buddies are saying, because a lot of preppers run in groups. If you and your buddies are like, we're going to set up this new, so this is what it's going to be like afterwards. And then just through like bad management or just through greed or corruption, one person gets more gold and silver than the other people. The other people are just going to go, never mind, we don't want to do that anymore. We're done playing money. And you could be like, no, 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 I have all the gold now. And they're like, yeah, but we, we think that's stupid. We think gold's stupid. We'd rather get paid in potatoes. So you're out. 
it just won't work. I think it's this idea that you're middle class now, but if you put a little bit aside for some gold and some silver, after the bomb, after the world ends, you'll be Bill Gates. It just doesn't make sense. You may have $5,000 in gold stored away right now, but after the end of the world, people are going to want to get paid in gum. People are going to want to get paid in oil. At the very beginning, just food and water will do. But at a certain point, if you have a box of gum, that is a luxury. People will be like, I don't remember what cherry cinnamon blast tastes like. That, uh, simple things. Toilet paper will be a hot commodity. Because it will go very, very quickly. No pun intended. It's just going to rot out. Toilet paper is going to be big. Gum is going to be big. Obviously, cigarettes, tobacco, pills. All of this stuff are going to be way more important the first 5-10 years after Apocalypse than your gold and silver collection. Your Franklin Mint coins are going to be worthless. Or your legit golden bars are going to be worthless. Because it's going to be too heavy to transport. And again, and I'm going to finish it off like this. Because this is the thing that I've had multiple debates with multiple preppers about. Their prepper planning sucks. And this is exactly why. They have their bunker, their hideout, their fortress, their home that has the the basement all filled out with all these guns. They have lookouts. They have this whole community set. I've met, like I said, dozens of people who are like, I can't tell you everything, but I'm well prepared for the apocalypse. I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. They don't use the term apocalypse. Whatever uh, disaster du jour is going on. I'm well prepared for Y2K. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I got X amount of ammo. I got X amount of weeks of water and food. It's like this bragging thing. It's what they've done with their life. It's their hobby. It's And that really, that's the key. It's a, it's a hobby. But they take it super, super seriously. But they're going about all their stuff. And this the last time I did this, it happened maybe two or three years ago with a friend of mine. He was telling me, he's like, oh yeah, I'm totally prepared for the end of the world. I could go hunting. My family's trained to shoot. I have all these guns. And I'm looking at him. I just let him go on and on. And I go, I'm going to start a fire. He goes, what? I go, I'm going to start a fire and, and kill all of you guys. And the look on his face was like he had just realized that th- there was a huge gap in his plan. And I go, I'm just going to start fires everywhere. I go, at the end of the world, I'm going to, this, I, we're in, we're in, we're in Hood River. I go, this entire mountainside's going to be dust. I'm just going to start fires everywhere. And he's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, why not? Now, obviously, I'm just trying to get under skin. I'm not a pyromaniac, but I go, why not? It's the end of the world. And no one will be there to put them out. And because we have problems with fires up here, and, and they're like during the summer, they're massive. And I go, it doesn't matter. I go, I can start a fire 10 miles away from you. It, it, it could get to you. It could not. I don't care. I'm just going to burn everything down. But if I wanted it to get to you, if I wanted to direct it, I could do that too. You can't shoot a fire. You can't defend against the fire. Fire burns everything. And there will be no firefighters to stop it. The only way that that fire will not destroy your home is if there's a big rainstorm. And if there is, I just start another fire. Later. <laughs> the storm's done. And all the trees get dried. And at this point, he he was visibly upset. At that point, he told me, he goes, if anything ever happens, the first thing I'm going to do is find you and kill you. Because it's a threat. Not a, not a legal threat. Like, obviously, I would never actually do that to him. But it was a threat to his philosophy. You imagine, you have these imaginary scenarios where you are, have your cowboy hat on and you're like protecting your family and you're eating homemade pumpkin pie at night and like singing songs with the guitar and all that stuff. And then every so often a raider team of like, 
other people will like come through the woods and like give us your women and your food or we'll and then you pull out your store-bought pristine rifle that you've only fired for target practice and you blow the dude's head off and then the other raiders are shooting back with their cheap guns and you're like haha there's nothing on my 50 cal and the family shooting back and another victory and then that night you have some more pumpkin pie that's the dream and then eventually you start to rebuild the society and you become an upstanding member of this new society because in this society you're just a schlub that's the fantasy but the reality is i'm just going to burn everything down i know that you have a house up there that's full of years worth of food and i know you're a threat I know that whoever you... I don't know anything about you. You could be an upstanding Christian person. You could be a hardcore serial killer. You could be a politician. It doesn't matter. You're in a house. You have a bunch of stuff. It's the end of the world. And I want it. I'm just going to burn everything down. If you're in a house in the city, I'll burn down the city. If you're in a house in the woods, I'm going to burn down the woods. If you're in the desert, it's a little bit harder. But I'm not in the desert, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to burn everything down. And someone, I told someone that, and they go... Well, isn't that going to burn all the food up? And I said, it'll burn up a portion of the food. Sure, it's not going to burn everything. And if it does burn, it kills everyone in the house and burns all the food, oh, well, they're not a threat anymore. This group of people with these guns and all this gold are no longer a threat to me. So I could still just be going around eating squirrels and rabbits, but I don't have to worry about them anymore. That's the problem with your prepper plan. Now, again, I should say I'm actually not going to burn everything down. But there will be people who will. And more importantly, nature will. I read, I read this statistic a long time ago. If man wasn't here, forest fires would be incredibly common and entire forest would be gone. Because a lightning strike would hit a forest and it would, and it would burn until the weather put it out. Just firestorms that lasted for weeks. And we see proof of this all over the world. The fact that humans are here means we can actually put out the fires. In your apocalypse scenario, that stops. The world is choked out by fire and smoke. There is vermin everywhere. The chances of you surviving that first year are so incredibly low because you're planning, you didn't plan for basic stuff like fire and disease. You got a water filter, but you didn't remember the 10 million cockroaches that are just going to swarm your house, suffocate you while you're sleeping. If you really want to prepare, you have to prepare for everything. Even the things you didn't know you had to prepare for. Maybe someday your prepper plan won't suck. Maybe someday you'll actually stand a chance against a maniacal lunatic in the middle of the woods with a match. But I think it's hard for basically in a survival scenario, what it is, it is one man or one group of people trying to outwit the rest of the world. And I don't think anyone can prepare for that. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. When you stay at a Verbo, the host doesn't stay with you. Because a vacation home with a stranger sounds a little bit like a horror movie. Only whole vacation homes. Always private. Book on the Verbo app.